We stand today. The business method. With the shadow. The business method. The business method podcast. The business method podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring high-performing entrepreneurs and high-caliber people dissecting their different methods, tools, and strategies so we can apply them to our businesses and lives. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that had built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built seven-figure businesses that can be ran anywhere in the world. And currently, we are interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business, affect income, results, economies, and cultures, especially post-COVID. Since we moved into a post-pandemic world, the landscape has changed drastically for most business owners. We're finding out what is working for the entrepreneurs out there that have positioned themselves well to make sure their businesses thrive, succeed, and continue to experience growth in this current economy. And now, let's hop into today's show. The business method. Hey, gals and pals, listen up real quick because we have something exciting to share with you. First, for you high-performing entrepreneurs out there, we've taken the most powerful tips and tricks from over 400 episodes that our guests have shared on how to optimize their own personal performance, and we've made them into digestible micro-podcast episodes that are just two to eight minutes long. These high-performance episodes are being published on Monday and Friday each week and will be labeled as HP number one two three four five six seven eight nine ten and so on. Those episodes are live now and they're designed for you to consume some quick, high-quality content when you only have a few minutes to spare. So be sure to subscribe to the Business Method Podcast on your favorite app so you can get those delivered to you as soon as they are live. The next thing I wanted to share with you is about our private mastermind community for established entrepreneurs. If you have an established business that has good momentum and wanted to be involved in a higher level mastermind community that is curated specifically for entrepreneurs that are moving at the same speed as you with similar challenges, revenue, team size, and business niche, then we've got a group for you. Our private mastermind groups are facilitated by myself, yours truly, and my good friend, Adam Anderson. Adam is a seasoned entrepreneur who's been involved in 20 plus startups over 20 years and recently had a multi-million dollar exit. I keep the members on track with their goals, productivity, and optimization, and Adam brings the vast business knowledge to the groups. Our purpose with this private community is to help you reach your business goals faster so you can remove yourself from your company and focus on bigger and better things. You can learn more about that private community and masterminds at thebusinessmethod.com forward slash masterminds. That's thebusinessmethod.com forward slash masterminds. And now let's hop into today's show. The Business Method. Welcome to the Business Method Podcast. Today we have Puneet Dillon on the show. Puneet, how are you? Hey, thanks for having me on your show, Chris. This is wonderful. I mean, I had a chance to uh, listen to a few of your podcasts that you've been involved with and some of the uh, people that you've had on your show. It's inspiring. Some of them are, like, are uh, people that I look up to as entrepreneurs, so it's really cool yeah. uh, to have this opportunity. Uh, maybe that's a fun question to start off with. I always like to ask successful people who kind of they admire and look up to. Who are some of the the entrepreneurs out there today that that um, that you look up to? Uh, so it's a great great question. I I have some you know local heroes that that have um, definitely stuck out in terms of the things that 
have happened in the biotech space because it's just close to home and and but in terms of names and people that are uh, more broadly people recognize oprah winfrey uh stands out as an exceptional entrepreneur in terms of where where she started from how she continues to um expand or sorry uh, uh continue to evolve as an entrepreneur uh, from from her area of expertise or profession and then into these other ways that she's been able to dialogue and inspire others mm -hmm. uh, i think that david you know it's just tremendous in terms of the evolution i i can't um you know i also um uh, have to recognize that i love the structure of entrepreneurs like um, um tim cook um in terms of the discipline you know that they have you know not the same as uh, Steve Jobs. Everyone looks at you know Steve Jobs as being this this really disruptive individual. I think he's very inspiring. But you know the the, the focus on operational discipline that Tim Cook has, mm -hmm. and how he's used that and leveraged that to, to become uh, to make Apple the most valuable company in the world. I think it's it speaks in terms of leadership and um, it speaks to the company's innovative style. It's it starts from the top, I think, and that's done really well. Yeah. I, I like, as you were talking about Oprah, I was thinking about kind of her evolution and she's not really, um, she didn't start out as an entrepreneur, you know, she, she was an interview host and yeah. she honed her skill so well and her, her personal brand, uh, got so big that she had to be an entrepreneur. And that's, that's the evolution of a lot of entrepreneurs, especially nowadays, you know, they become so great at their skill, whether it's an athlete, which you were an athlete, uh, whether it's a, a, an interviewer, um, journalist, whatever it may be, that you get to the point where you're, you have this fame behind you uh, and this influence and you have to start a business and sell things behind the backside <laughs> of it in order to do that. And it's a fascinating thing to see. I, I had the privilege of actually um, uh, listening to Oprah live, not at a show, but she was doing a, a um, speaking tour, I think, and uh, it happened to be in Vancouver. So I had an opportunity to go with some friends and listen to her do a talk and never been to one of those types of um, shows before. It's like I picture Tony Robbins, but uh, Oprah Winfrey instead in terms of the inspirational talk. Mm -hmm. But one of the key highlights from that talk was um, just how she uh, made a point about uh, how deliberate she is about what she says yes to versus what she says no to. Yeah. So the case in point, a lot of people, you know, ask for donations, your friends, family, you know, she, and she was very clear about uh, the importance of giving, but the importance of recognizing, hey, where do you want to give and why? Mm -hmm. and and how powerful it is in terms of just being clear but if you apply that lesson in terms of everything we do as an entrepreneur well in order for us to be successful in all the things that we're trying to achieve and you know call it be high performing or carry out this pur purpose in life you, you know yeah you have to become very deliberate about what where do you where do you see your value for yourself and and the time and bandwidth and everything else that comes along with that yeah. As, yeah. as, as a successful guy, and I like how you put that as a successful guy, um, successful entrepreneur, executive, um, where do you see the value in yourself? Wow. Uh, <laughs> oh, <that's a> little, <laughs> I threw that right back on you, didn't I? Yeah. I was like, well, I'm 
Yeah, these podcast people and they're loaded quite. I had a podcast <laughs> earlier and there was like a very rhetorical question. I'm like, how do you do that? So, you know. uh-huh. uh, so the, uh, I would say, look, um, I, uh, I'm a, like, like all of us, we're like vehicles, right? Like, you, you know, uh, my staff probably gets annoyed, you know, because um, like, you can make a lot of commotion and have this ripple effect when you walk through an office or, or whatever. Uh, everything that we do is a, think of it just basically there's an action reaction okay so um what what's the positive actions uh, or sorry positive reactions you want from reactions mm-hmm. i think in terms of answering your question so i'm not <laughs> dancing around it i hope that i can share my experiences the exposure that i've had to different businesses people bosses you know other uh, the athletics and and hopefully inspire others you know i i'm i think lucky uh, to be able to have a seat at the table and what you know this this table and and you know the boardroom and other other um companies that i'm involved with um not everyone gets that same experience i recognize that and at the same time i know you know what i've done in order to achieve that and the help that i've gotten along the way from mentors and other other people that uh, had the confidence in allowing me to have the different positions that I've had. So uh, it's a responsibility that I take upon myself to give that same experience, the same opportunities, and opening the doors uh, for others. It's as cheesy as it sounds, mm-hmm. that's a hugely important part of, of of overall growth. Like we live in this such this hyper focused social attention that that we've seen in the last 18 months because of the pandemic and because of some of the other things that became very visible and on the surface about equality, um, about um, a whole range of different issues. And I think that in order for us to see that progress, the positive change that we're looking for, that's where you have that responsibility, I have that responsibility, and at the same time, you know, my accounting manager or um, you know the person that sits at the front desk. They they have that same first impression that they that they have to make uh, when a, a, another person comes in the door that you know doesn't even work here. It's a guest of the company or a guest of of uh, some. So all of these things, I think, it's a ripple effect that's very important. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people see entrepreneurs as kind of um, you know at at I don't know, kind of maybe on the pedestal or on the top. You know, especially if you're you've done some business over a period of time and created some successful results from that. But, um, you know, as you were talking about that, this made me think of it. Um, we, the vast majority of entrepreneurs are massive givers, um, giving of their time, their energy, um, thinking about their employees, their customers, the clients, thinking about how all the things and decisions that, that, that we make is going to have a ripple effect throughout the company and then throughout services and sales and then and then those products and services we send out to the world how those are going to affect the world and um you know the 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 idea that there's greediest greedy capitalists which some of them do exist but for the vast majority of entrepreneurs they're they're just people that have so much to give 
that they do it in facets that not a lot of people understand that aren't entrepreneurs and, and, and we're giving so much all the time, which is another reason why often we burn out, uh, because we're just, we're working and giving so much of ourselves to the business and to, to the world really. Yeah. And I think that that's case in point, like you do have to double down where you need to, you need to also take advantage of that. We live in a free economy and we do, need to be competitive in order for there to be progress. Yeah. Uh, I think that competition is a very healthy thing. That's the way that we're going to continue to level up. Uh, but along the way, you have that rising uh, tide that brings all the ships up together. Yeah, uh, That's the important part of it. So I firmly believe in kind of the, the, the responsibilities that are bestowed upon us working in a free economy. But at the same time, you've got to do it in a way that's ethical, moral, and you're you're doing you're doing uh, things that are aligned with your values and purpose. Yeah, it's a big job, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it, it is. It it's is. Like, but that's that's the beauty. Of like, you know, not to go on a tangent here, but we have one shot at doing this, right? It's like we live one life. So that's why I, you know, part part of this whole experience for me of going through this book writing thing, it started because of these types of questions, these fundamental questions that. Are usually burning inside of us anyways like you know i i i do spend a lot of time in endurance sports so i have a lot of alone time <laughs> if i'm like running a long long run or doing a long bike then you're just stuck in your own mental uh you know like mental games and physical endurance so it, one of the questions i had to ask myself turning 40 i had this great uh experience over 20 years working with a variety of different companies and developing a whole range of new technologies. I had a wonderful opportunity working in life sciences where you're really developing technologies or products that are hopefully going to help patients with an unmet medical need. Mm -hmm. And I know I worked hard in order to achieve, you know, certain um, personal uh, uh, goals and other things. And on one side of it, there's like this, simple checklist that most people have even like the majority of people like okay they got to finish their education they have to get a career you know they have to settle down or you know get a house or you know so you get you know do accomplish all those things and then you're in your you're you're in in the in your groove you're in your in your stride and then what do you then what do you you know do next right it's like after that checklist is completed then it's very much focused on purpose it's very much focused on why am i doing what i'm doing in order to feel satisfied so when i come back to saying okay i have one shot in my life and i want to put the gas pedal down when i when i need to i also want to put the brakes on when i need to to take stock of the responsibility of that that i have in terms of my roles and the different people that i my actions impact mm -hmm. uh this is this this was the whole thing like this is why this book for me was important so that going so i can basically apply that experience going forward so i was fortunate to have certain experiences for 20 plus years in in the business world am i going to be doing what am i going to be holding myself accountable to for the next 20 or 40 years right uh, and it, it could be that hey i'm going to spend more time surfing you know which i didn't do in the first 20, 20 years. years yeah yeah, yeah. that kind of stuff
So one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is that you, you, you've done a lot of amazing things in your life. One of the things that really stood out in your bio was that you've helped raise over $500 million with the companies that you've worked with or founded. You're formerly the vice president of finance and operations for Innovio Pharmaceuticals, president and CEO of OncoSec, chairman and CEO of Psych Bioscience and, and creator of the Torpedo Publishing, plus many other things. And I know you guys did about $125 million with Innovio. And then, so, so what really interests me is because I'm a bootstrap entrepreneur. We have so many bootstrapped entrepreneurs that are like, hey, we get an idea. We put up a website. We build a funnel, get some ads to it, see if the idea works. If not, move on to the next idea sort of thing. Um, and we don't come from the world so much of like, hey, we get an idea, then we then we raise you know a few million dollars for it or a hundred million dollars or whatever, and, and you're you're really good at this. So I, I'd love to talk more in depth about the strategies of raising yep. that much money and maybe the methodologies, um, some of the the successes and failures that you've had along the way through that from raising that type of money. Yeah. No. So thanks. That's a jam-packed of, in terms of a lot of stuff to cover there but uh yeah. just to break it down um it, it, f funding and cap capital raising has definitely evolved since i started in this uh in the corporate finance world to you know in, in the things i learned uh working at uh i started i cut my teeth in, in working with a, a life science and healthcare fund and i was a basically a junior analyst i i um I worked closely with my uncle, who was a venture capitalist. I was responsible for making drafting memos and stuff like that. But they had a billion dollars, and you know they could deploy. They can. They were writing big checks. Um, you know, fast forward to now. You know, there's a ton of different financial products, or not not even financial products, uh, vehicles available for fundraising. You, know, you have uh, crowdfunding uh, sources. Uh, uh, you have um, uh, different types of, uh, you know, uh, financing peers. You have you know, banks and other types of angel investors that that you you can you can essentially bring ideas forward and see what sticks. And there's usually usually um, an investor out there that that is intrigued if you're if you have a sound business. Um, in terms of my my personal experience, yeah, those numbers are big that that you quoted. At the same time, there's probably uh, you know. Uh, a multiple of that in terms of doors slammed in your face, um, <laughs> missed opportunities, things that didn't work out in accordance with the plan. Uh, and I, will, I will, uh, won't be shy to say that uh, for all the companies that I've been involved with, I've experienced more than once the doors about to close on us because uh, we're running out of cash and um, mm. not not in the revenue stage or didn't have the, didn't have an operating runway. So. Um, each of those situations brings you, uh, uh, you know, it teaches you new things. And thankfully, uh, we've developed some great relationships on Wall Street um, and uh, other streets around the world, um, uh, including uh, uh, a great group of uh, um, uh, investors in, in Asia and a great group of investors in Europe. So, so I, I thankfully, you know, uh, you're only as good as your track record. Uh, we've uh, been lucky that uh, along the way, certain people have. Uh, done well with different companies that we've been involved with uh and opio uh when i was involved was like a sub 50 million dollar company last year it went over a billion dollars in terms of market capitalization uh onkasek i started with a hundred thousand oh, wow. um, dollars that was a loan <laughs> 
So what year uh, did that start? Uh, 2011. Okay, uh, nice. You know, and uh, we we raised uh, uh, a lot of money at Onca Second. Did a partnership with Merck, and and they're doing a phase three trial. It's just in itself that's probably the budget um, of what the company's already raised. Uh, so it's pretty, you know, in terms of when you talk about size of the trial, paying for drug, and cost of operations, uh, and then um, yeah, been involved with uh, Emerald, and we've done a lot of different companies uh, and and different licensing deals. And now with Sky, um, it's a great place to put this company, um, best cash position it's ever been in. Uh, we've done about over $15 million uh, in the last 11 months. And um, I'm very fortunate that uh, kind of investors that have backed us in this company, I, they have a track record uh, with working with this management. And we're, um, we're going to continue to make sure that our stakeholders remain happy and, and keep pushing our technology forward. When you have an idea for a business and you know you need to raise money, what 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 are the first steps? Or can you run us through that methodology that you have? Yeah. So so we um, uh, at this point, like you know, most of these businesses that we're involved with are have a fair degree of maturity. So it's not like hey, this is just a new concept. Um, uh, generally, in life sciences, we're working with technologies that are uh, clinic ready or going to be clinic ready and there's a very clear development path like we've done the diligence around what's this what's this uh, product opportunity is there differentiating characteristics and then and then uh, formulate a clear development path so in biotech the thing that's challenging is that you, you have a long way before you see revenue mm -hmm. right you, you do 10 years uh, in terms of development time alone before you actually see any um, uh, revenue from product sales if the product is even approved mm -hmm. I mean, that's after going through phase one phase two and phase three we I, I i've been focusing um on developing technologies to this you know kind of the sweet spot of phase two phase two b where we've uh, eliminated or de-risked the product enough that you are able to secure a licensing partner with a big pharma and i in that's, this is what attracted me to start Onkasek. This is what's attracted me to uh, work at uh, Sky, is that we're working with these novel technologies that have a tremendous amount of interest and mm -hmm. investment interest. But you have to show a viable development path and execution, and, and you know, there's, there's all the risks that's, uh, that are associated with that. So it's about taking those calculated risks and then going to a certain investor um, group. So I, I um, have been relying on on a network that 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 has that have developed over over my career, um, but uh, I am also uh, you know continuing to elevate that network as well. There's, a, there's so many different tiers of an, of investors. Like you you know you go to Fidelity, not ready to go to Fidelity for an investment in Sky. One day we will be once we've taken it to a certain you know inflection point. Then Fidelity will probably answer our phone call and say, Hey, we'd like to present the story to you. So. I think it's just a matter of kind of working through all of those things. At at Onkasek, we you know, we started with a few capital raises that were very pri private rounds, then then into some uh, healthcare hedge funds, and then worked our way up to some very large, you know, reputable uh, healthcare funds like um, um, uh, Point Seventy Two, um, you know, Ridgeback, like these um, these well well established or, or be bad, very well established. Uh, healthcare funds that uh, typically, um, you know, once they 
write a check, then it also adds a lot of credibility mm -hmm. that others are interested in, in coming in after you. So, so we're going to do that. We, we, that's my um, uh, approach in terms of a, a rationale. Uh, but these days, I'm I'm generally focused on more mature ideas um, and and interested in spending the time necessary to get to it, get to a meaningful inflection point where it can be licensed to a pharma partner. Tell us about the, the, what was the first company that, that you had to raise money for? So I, I worked, uh, in a, at least in a support capacity to the CEO, uh, for an pharmaceuticals. That was the first place where I got exposure to, uh, raising money in, in this multi-million dollar kind of stage, uh, or this, um, uh, echelon i guess we'd say uh -huh. uh, prior to that i've been involved in in um in other biotech companies but uh, but in, at anovia we did some tremendous deals like we did a 30 million dollar deal and within 24 hours uh, it was still a record to me in terms of wow what you know what you can execute on if you have the fundamental science and the right timing and confluence of events that mm -hmm. happen and all of a sudden you you know you you pull the trigger on, on doing a capital raise when, uh, and, and being in a public company, there's a lot of, of the other components around regulations and other things that, that, that go into that in order to be able to time those types of events and, and get that kind of win. Can you tell us some stories about maybe, maybe sometimes you guys faced rejection and it was really, um, difficult to get past that rejection or one that hit the company or the, the, the people raising the money pretty hard. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, lots of rejections, um, probably more rejections than, than there has been. Than yeses. Than yeah. yeses, uh, which is typical of most, most stories. Um, but I can definitely point to 2011, 2012. So we, I just started Alcasec in 2011. Um, I'd done this interesting deal where I spun the technology out of Inovio. I was, so I was working at Inovio for almost nine years or 10 years. I led a merger um, uh, between a, our company that was based out of San Diego and a company out of Philadelphia. Uh, so we merged the company and then I st stayed on and, and did the entire, um, kind of, uh, synergy of the two companies and, and make sure that all the operations are in place. But part of that also, um, was that certain assets and certain products we were developing, we decided to shell. So, and post-merger, like in year three, I was still working out of the San Diego office and spending a lot of time with the new CEO, new CEO, um, Joseph Kim. Uh, he was open to me moving to Philadelphia and, and he, he encouraged that because that's where the decision making was happening. I was actually interested in that because uh, Inovio was in a transformative place, took my wife to Philadelphia. And uh, she's like, no, this is not happening. We're living in California. <laughs> Our family's from um, from Pacific Northwest in Vancouver, so we didn't want to do a double double uh, connecting flight in order to get get to Vancouver whenever we want to see our moms. So um, that was the kind of line in the sand, saying, "Oh, okay, I can work my nine to five job at the San Diego office," which felt like a nine to five job at that point because then it was like, "Hey, everything's kind of running in in good order." or um, take a little bit more risk. Uh, so knew that there were some products that we weren't developing, uh, ended up uh, speaking to the board and management about spinning those technolo that technology out. 
and that's how Alcastec was born. Um, and at the same time, I spoke to the, the scientific founder who was a oncologist uh, focused on melanoma, Dr. Adil Dowd, and he was very um, supportive of, of working on moving this forward uh, as well with me. So uh, in order to do that deal, uh, I had some friendly negotiation with Inovio where they gave me, uh, they, they allowed to license the technology based on a loan agreement. So I basically licensed the technology for like I don't know, some large magnitude of dollars. Or like, I think it was $3 million plus, plus mm -hmm. there was like other components to it. Uh, so, but I was on a payment plan uh, in order to pay that money. But I started on the same note, I started on and we had zero dollars to start with. So we literally like we, we had a hundred thousand dollar loan, put in our personal home, uh, money. That was the commitment. Didn't take a salary initially. All of these like things that, you know, you, you signed up for as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. um, and then in the first year we, uh, we raised about a million, I think I want, so it was about a million, million dollars. That was only enough to do operating cash and, start making um, these payments, so start chipping away this large number that we had know uh, we needed to pay to Inovio. And, um, and then we were almost out of cash. So in fast forward, you know, a year goes by, you're like, oh no, like, you know, we're, gonna, we're not gonna make it. <laughs> Thankfully, um, two investors stepped up that had invested with me at, at Inovio. And they're like, okay, you know what? You know, we, we believe that this is gonna be potentially another you know, success. We're understanding the risks, but, uh, you know, at the same time, you know, we're going to hedge ourselves uh, with all of this other protection. So we got another $3 million in that helped stretch the runway a bit, a bit longer while we were trying to start several clinical trials. And then, uh, essentially we, we hit a wall. We, we got, we went to, um, we, we, we didn't, we weren't able to attract the capital. It was a tough time in the market. This is 2011, 2012, when people were still digesting um, the uh, financial crisis mm -hmm. and the, the biotech market had taken a little bit of a, a beating as well. So people were very reluctant to coming into new codes. I was an approved CEO. So I was, you know, not, not a proven commodity. And, mm -hmm. you know, you can only uh, get so, so far. So I went on, um, I, I, I tried a different tactic. I went up a tier. So I had my, my usual suspects of investors and they were like, ah, oh, no, you know, we're going to wait until you're a little bit further along. I went up a tier to one of a very reputable healthcare fund out of San Francisco, but I took Dr. Dowd with me, who was the scientific co-founder and, and said, okay, I can do the business pitch, but I need Dr. Dowd to do the technology pitch. And, and, and we had this publication that we had just published in the journal of, um, I think the journal of clinical oncology, which was the initial study results. Thankfully, that meeting went really well, and that investor uh, was um, interested, but he didn't say yes at that point. Okay? okay, he was like, I think like, let's say comfortably over fifty percent, maybe even at the sixty percent territory. But he was still working on his diligence. Uh -huh. And uh, uh, Jay Venkatesan, Jay Venkatesan, he's in my book, Doctor Jay Venkatesan, and uh, he ended up. Um, we, we were at an investor uh, event um, where there was a bunch of different investors and I did a pitch there and oh, there was just a perfect confluence of events. So we had a few more investors that were like, oh, this is actually very intriguing. So um, that investor ended up stepping up 
and these other investors ended up stepping up and we ended up doing a, a deal that was like the transition point for the company, $7.2 million. And it solidified everything and allowed us to pay in um, Inovio, have operating runway. And then from there, we just kept, kept building. Uh, yeah, building. So you, so you went through 3 million or 4 million and then yeah, it we went through four million through the first year. Okay, uh, just through operating expenses and starting three phase two, three phase two clinical trials. Wow, how did you connect with that that investor that was a tear up from your usual suspects? I I don't recall how I was introduced to him, but I believe I was introduced to him by one of my board members or somebody that um, you know within the network. I I just don't I don't recall, but but there's also, you know, there's these group of investors that if you're, when you've been in the business long enough, you know that they exist. So sometimes it is a matter of just, hey, this is who I am and this is what I'm working on and I'd like to meet with you. And, and mm -hmm. you know what, nine times out of 10, they actually say yes. Yeah, uh, because they're looking for places to put their money. Yeah, yeah there, there's always, they can always say no, but they usually, you know, have a duty to listen. Yeah. Uh, so that's part of the, the challenge is most, most people don't, don't make enough effort making those cold calls that are that usually you know the it's important part about developing those relationships are right so yeah I've done that with my board members and you know people like um dr jenkins who wrote the forward on the book i i, I wrote a, a piece on this on linkedin i used to i met her in 2013 at jp morgan at a conference a biotech conference that happens in in san francisco and i would just I knew who she was. She was working for Bristol Myers at the time, and she was like global uh, head of regulatory affairs or something like that. So, super senior position. She reported to the CEO, and I was like, I I would just start talking to her, and then every year I see her at the same conference, and and there's a there was a pre-event to the conference where I knew certain people would be there, so I purposely register and make sure I'm there. And I think after a year or three, she finally was like, you know, this guy keeps like talking to me and, and being persistent. Uh -huh. um, it, it developed a rapport where, you know, funny enough, she became a board member for me at Onkasek, or she 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 was she joined the board, and um, she's been an incredible mentor and and um, very uh, incredible entrepreneur herself. She launched the company in that whole period herself and and sold it and. Um, so yeah, it's just one of these things that you know you never know who you're going to meet. So you got to stay open-minded and uh, be persistent. I'd like to talk about going into that board meeting with the the upper tier um, investor or going into that meeting. What were some of the things you guys did to prep to make sure that you were on par of the conversations you had or the structure you had, like getting on the same page for what you were going to pitch to the investor. And then how that all went once you were in the meeting. Yeah, so I forgot this podcast called Business Method. Uh -huh. uh, so that's why you're very, very granular. Wow, you're Tell me your methods. <laughs> going to the, to the granular uh, thing. So here's the thing. Uh, first, I want to answer that question by saying that um, these methods have all evolved with experience. Yeah. Uh, so at the time, you know, I knew about the importance of an investor deck and a non-deal roadshow deck and regulation fair disclosure which is reg fp for short and what you can say to investors versus you know not say to investors what's in the public domain so so there's a there's a dance in, involved and there's usually a 
pretty good decorum and uh, structure around that dance that's involved with investors. Um, and after doing enough of those types of meetings, thankfully, from being on the road with my uh, last company and, and, and being uh, there with the CEO and listening to him do his presentations, you, you, you also learn from those experiences of what kind of questions are going to be asked and, and be, be prepared for that. So, so a lot of information goes into a slide deck and, and it's typically, typically about 20 slides, mm -hmm. sometimes about 24, but the rule of thumb I will say is don't do a presentation that's longer than 20 slides and ensure that your slide deck has a well thought through um, uh, flow. Uh, you know, arc associated with it. Uh, I don't think there's any rule in terms of how your pitch should be, but uh, it's important that if you're delivering the pitch that you're comfortable with the material. And uh, usually in these situations with sophisticated investors, they are familiar with the science, they're familiar with the landscape, they're gonna throw you off, they're not gonna let you finish the slides, they're not gonna... So the, the slide deck ends up being more or less a, a prop that you refer to when that important questions come up. So you never really have a chance to go through it from A to Z. You're usually using mm -hmm. here, okay, let me pull to this slide. This is where, you know, so if you have all that information ready, especially when somebody asks you a question, I think it's confidence to an investor that you know that, hey, I'm that you're prepared and um, you've thought through the, some of the things that are on their mind. So uh, in terms of that's that's the overall methodology. I, I don't think it's a secret uh, not a, uh, it's not the same recipe every single time. Right. You have to know your audience yeah. and prepare for, for that. I've been in a meeting, for instance, with one of the premier healthcare investors, will not mention who, that didn't even let me like utter a word of my presentation. Uh -huh. And just said, next. And, and like, you know, just was very um, clear about what their expectations were uh, uh -huh. about about the meeting so you know don't don't expect that you're going to be able to go there if you practiced all the right moves that you're going to be able to do your do your moves like you know unless um you know unless unless you're calling the meeting and you're you're then you know they're coming to they're coming to you, you know, be prepared to do their dance that they want you to do do you come in with terms too like hey uh you come in and what we're looking for is seven million dollars um offer x amount of equity percentage return on your money is this I'm, I'm certain you guys probably think about that beforehand right yeah so a lot of what you do in the quiet periods call it the quiet periods when you're not actively raising money but you're getting your story out is is continuing to do that um, non what they're called non-deal roadshows where basically you're meeting with investors you're learning what their expectations are. You're keeping track of detailed notes of your Q and A. You're 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 getting you're have your ear to the ground. You mm -hmm. know, people often refer to, oh, they they heard this on Wall Street. Well, what they mean is that they went to a meeting, they took good adequate notes, they brought that back to their team and said, I had this meeting with so and so, and this is what they asked me. And hey, should we be thinking about this? And now we heard it from three or four people, and now Let's think about maybe we need to evolve this part of our story. So that there is this, you know, back and forth. So that I think the periods that you're not doing an invest uh, financing around are highly critical because that 
that's when the, the story really begins to gel. And that's when you as a, as a management team can really hone in on here's exactly our development strategy. This is what the expectations are on the street. This is what our expectations are with our current stakeholders, our board. This is what we can do internally as a management team and everyone's aligned. Full mm-hmm. transparency, good communication. Um, so the other the other part of it though is um, is when you're doing a financing, yeah, there's naturally an evolution of what what you're you're alluding to. So at some point, you know, you 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 start putting a framework to, together of how much capital is being raised, why, what are the use of proceeds. You know, how are you going to do it? If the company is going to do it on its own, then that's a that's a particular way you go about that. Otherwise, you involve a professional like an investment bank, and you know they they help they help um, be the glue uh, between you and you and the other parties. That's fascinating. Uh, any other? I don't want to say tips or tricks, but any other skills like important skills that you think it takes for for somebody if they're going to go out and, and start raising money and then and maybe talk to a, a person that's just starting out with it that doesn't have a lot of contacts you know they've got a good uh, business going and they're like okay the next level is raising money uh, what can we do how can we figure this process out yeah i think there's a couple things first of all on the business side being clear about the expectations i don't you know a lot of um, early businesses and entrepreneurs they feel like they have to promise the world and then it's hard for them to navigate a path to actually you know get to that promise that they're trying to make right so i think it's better you 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 articulate a very clear plan that investors can understand and it and it should be simple yeah. it should be you should be able to deliver this in a very simple way where people know exactly what your product does how much is it going to take to get to a meaningful inflection point what are those parameters for expectations on a return and in, on investment and you know all the other you know kind of steps in between so so clear business plan the other Part I think that's also important as an entrepreneur or manager or or somebody that's in the position to to go and ask for money is you got to be yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think that there there's a lot of people out there that get stuck in this fake it till you make it type of scenario, mm-hmm. um, and then you're not being genuine uh, with with what your capabilities are, and you've out um, you know you overstated what your 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 you've said. Uh, most often you're speaking in hyperbole <laughs> and I think that that's very disingenuous. Um, and so you have to know your audience and you have to know yourself and feel comfortable and being authentic to who you are and what you can deliver. And I think that's what gets the most of these deals done. Um, so the rest of it, you know, there's lots of different types of investors out there. There's always going to be somebody that's interested and willing to listen and, and, and don't be afraid when people shut the door on you and stuff like that. That's that's part of it. That's all. That's part of the games. And you know what? There's also part of the games is negotiation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like everyone. Imagine going to. I don't know, like, you know, do what sports do you play? Uh, jiu-jitsu. I was I was just gonna say jiu-jitsu. Imagine going to jiu-jitsu, uh-huh. and you know you're just sitting there rolling on the mat. 
Oh, sorry, you're you're on the and 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 you're just laying on your back and uh-huh. and and the person that you're grappling with or or um, um, rolling with, uh, you know, doesn't um, doesn't do anything or whatever. It's just like you know, just like still or whatever. Uh-huh. There's a part that it's it's a uh, you get um, it's just back and forth that's necessary. Right. That's necessary for progress. Terms negotiating terms uses an opportunity for you to hone your skills and how you want to negotiate yeah. and how you want to be a better negotiator. Use the inputs that you're getting from the other other opponent in the case of jiu-jitsu. It's like, how am I going to counter counter the, that, that maneuver? Yeah. Uh, I would imagine you guys have, you know, parameters too when you go in before, like this is how far we can go or maybe even you come oh. up with those afterwards. This is how high you can go. This is how low you can go sort of thing, how much you can accept, um, how much equity or interest you can give on, on the investments, um, before. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, being a public company, we, we do have parameters that we set by the board first before, you know, board before needs you even to, go in. Yeah. Before I even go in yeah. on the um, board gives me certain you know, parameters and say, Hey, okay. Uh, I, I would, First, tell the board this is what I'm interested in doing. This is what my my proposal would be. They would we would have a discussion around it and, and have some sort of consensus on what what are the parameters yeah. that I should be going on with. So I know you're a high performing entrepreneur and you're into um, you know tips and and ways to perform better as an entrepreneur, but also as a as a person. Um, in your book, you talk about um, uh, your book catapult. You outline a ten point framework that's backed by the mindset of corporate athletes. Tell us uh, briefly about this, the 10 point f- framework, but first tell us what a corporate athlete is. So we understand when you go into the 10 point frame p- framework. Yeah, that's great. Um, so yeah, the generally, um, so catapult, the, the book is, 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 was an opportunity for me to really, um, take all these different learnings and things that we've, even chatting about and these different insights and put it um, into a framework that makes sense that made sense for me it's a it's a result of a very unique life journey and all the different work done in biotech and life sciences and then and then also also being an athlete so definitely inspired by being an athlete and then launching into this entrepreneurial life uh, at a very frenetic pace so um, the the idea here was that the discipline of growing up as an athlete really stuck with me and carried into my professional career. And then I was, when I was putting some frameworks together, I, I, I also uh, saw that professional athletes, um, interestingly enough, they make transition. And, you know, after being a professional athlete, they usually have their next uh, iteration of their career. It could be, right. they, they become a successful entrepreneur or they were a sportscaster or what, you know, whatever they, they're usually, they're very successful in their second half. Um, so leaning into that and my own experience and then specifically being an endurance athlete, I just try to package it together in terms of what, what do I believe is necessary in terms of that framework? What would I tell myself mm-hmm. if I was 20 years old again? Um, and how would I approach things differently? And um, uh, I don't know if we already covered this, but I think one of the things that I was asking myself turning in, turning 40 was that 
where am I going to be focused on in the next part of my my career? Yeah. Uh, and how can I be? How can I really be aligned with my purpose? Because you know, I'm I I'm I'm happy with where what what how where I'm at and where you know all the things that all the different teams I've been involved with have achieved. But you know, how can we continue to serve um, the interest of overall growth of of uh, of what's important to me right now is positive, positive change on the planet. There's a lot to do. Uh, so, so yeah, that's, uh, that's how these 10 principles were born. It starts with true accountability then it moves into, uh, this concept of the importance of, 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 uh, coaching. And that stems from mm-hmm. being an athlete as well as I also was a uh, coach for a brief period as a, as a swim coach and, and how that, same philosophy applies to the business world. A lot of people think that there's a stigma associated with having a business coach or a mentor. That's, that's a super positive thing and it's going to help elevate your game and it's going to help you push beyond your comfort zone, just like a coach does in, in athletics. Um, and then there was the other things about honing in on uh, defining a purpose. Uh, a lot of people are not clear about their individual purpose mm-hmm. and and they they're kind of just focus on the day-to-day and not taking a step back and say okay what am i doing this for what if this wasn't here how would this affect my life or what would i want to change anything like am i happy with what i'm what i'm doing am i getting joy by the work that i'm putting into work the the uh, the focus that i have on myself uh, as well as what I'm what I'm doing in terms of overall life, that could be with a family, that could be with you know other loved ones and friends. So, so this that that concept was important. And then there's other things that are in, incorporated in here about working together uh, as a community. How being working as a team, you can effectively get a lot accomplished versus being selfish and working only for yourself. Yeah, um, and then. Again, other sports analogies like finding your stride, um, uh, meaning that if you're if you're at the pinnacle of sport, if you've been a competitive athlete, uh, you know when you you have that special feel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know you you said you do jujitsu, so you know when you're in your groove, when you're in your flow uh, in jujitsu, and you know the days you're not. I as a swimmer. I don't, I don't have that same feel of the water as I did as a, as a teenager, um, because I don't swim, you know, 20 hours a week anymore, but, but still, um, that finding your stride, I found my stride in different places now. Like I like cycling. Uh, I definitely feel like I'm finding a stride in terms of what we're doing, uh, with sky. And then uh, it ends with other concepts like, Hey, take a step back. Just like how you go and if you go, cycling and you're 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 riding up a, a large climb you know when you get to the top it's not like you just turn around and you go back down again usually you want to take in the view so this concept of uh just um sometimes you have to take a step back take a beat breathe take a better look and it's uh it's recognizing that um if you're if you're striving for perfection and you're paying attention to those little details you you also know when you've done your best so mm-hmm. keep looking for those opportunities where you reach a certain objective and take advantage of what you learn from that, get that broad view, soak it in, and then 
next time you know, you're going to go up even higher and 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 that journey is very long in our lives so how are we going to get the most out of keeping that engine going like you know these nuclear plants like you know it's fascinating science right like mm-hmm. so we're we're our own nuclear plant how are we going to give ourselves that energy i measure that energy in terms of joy am i having fun with what i'm doing because that's pretty much endless i can probably go for days without sleep as long as i'm having fun with what i'm doing could be a mega transaction to uh, an you know an amazing cycling experience or or an amazing long run or something what if it's something punit that um you just absolutely have to do but it's not giving you any joy what do you do about things like that because we all come across those from time to time yeah and, yeah. and that, that's that's the beauty of life right like we we learn from that so part of this is that i take those experiences of learning experiences um every single interaction every person you meet every going back to the first comment i made about an action reaction so it's up to us in terms of the mindset we take from that it's a glass half empty or glass half full in terms of that negative experience but each of those experiences if it's negative, um, it is some mild form of resilience sometimes that's forming where you're able to take that and hopefully rebound even faster, you know, in another situation or it's going to be repetitive and you're like, okay, I, I'm going to deal with that. This is going to happen every single week and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to work on it, but I'm also working on my way to, to get out of it. I'm going to train up somebody else to take over that job or I'm going to reschedule uh, so that I can address this in a, in a meaningful way or I'm going to take it out. <laughs> it doesn't work for me anymore. Yeah. Uh, it's not bringing me any joy and it's it's, uh, it's time to move on. But after you've exhausted all the other things. So the, I I think one's life is about taking full advantage about all, of all those experiences and um, that's what's going to enable overall success. And I, I'm sorry, but I'm just a super positive person that way. Like, I have, I, <laughs> that's okay. I think I think in order for us to have positive change, you got to take all these little um, battles that come along with it. That's that's part of life. You know, yeah. we 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 not not everything's rosy. Uh, there's some freaking, uh, and then usually we think our situation's bad. It's always like you know, there's a, another person that has a worse situation. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to make the most of it. Yeah. I think that is an incredible way to wrap the podcast up um, with such a good tip and a way to look on life. Uh, Puneet, I really want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing about your investing experience and all the other tips that you gave us. If the listeners want to reach out and learn more about what you have going on, where's the best place they can do that at? Yeah, they can reach out to me directly on my website. It's puneetdillon.com, so it's my full name. Dot com and then there's a tab there in terms of contacting uh, me or my team and um, yeah happy to happy to connect and um, anybody um, I'm usually very responsive so please please do that you can also find us on social media and um, same thing with sky bioscience if anyone is looking for more information or uh, the other stuff that I'm involved with uh, really proud of Yale Canada by the way um, so just a small plug there in terms of uh, what we're doing in in terms uh, with with that charity um, mm-hmm. that's focused on uh, youth and entrepreneurship. Excellent. What's the website for that charity? Uh, yellcanada.org. 
Perfect. Okay. Puneet, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And listeners, we want to thank you guys for tuning in once again, and we'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our six, seven, and eight-figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.